Are you looking for a church home or simply a weekly message that will revive your spirit? Each week, Pastor John Butler delivers applicable messages that will refuel your spiritual man and bring a new desire to your heart. Here's Pastor John Butler with this week's encouraging message. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you're finding it, or when you find it, if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. It is not done to honor me by any means, but but to honor the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll, we'll start in verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I received from the Lord, this is Paul, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me read that last verse again. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why don't you bow your heads with me one last time. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come to you now in the portion of the service where we break the bread of life. And we ask, God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would illuminate our hearts and our minds, lead us and guide us to your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would remove any barriers, any preconceived notions, any walls that we have up that might separate us from the truth of Your Word and from Your Holy Spirit's eyes. I pray, God, that You would search us and know us and show us what it is You see when You look at us. And I pray, God, that we be honest with ourselves and honest with You this morning uh, about what Your Word reveals. I pray, Lord, that You would sow Your Word deep into the soil of our hearts and may You bear bear fruit from that seed, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the partaking of the Lord's Supper uh, is one of the things that unites almost all of the denominations and all the branches that make up Christianity. Some of us partake only on special occasions like Easter and Christmas. Some of us do it more frequently. Some of us even do it as part of of their weekly Worship services. Now, Scripture doesn't regulate the frequency with which we participate in the Lord's Supper. It only says that when we do it, we should do it to remind us of the broken body of Christ. Now, communion, which is what we commonly call it here in the South, brings back a lot of memories for me, and I'm sure it does for you as well. We, we all seem to have that at least that one significant moment that happened to us during communion where it was just so meaningful to us. Uh, one of the, I guess, the most vivid when I think of, of, of all of the times that I've had a chance to participate in communion, perhaps the most vivid of memories for me is for the time in our little Baptist church that I grew up in that one of the inactive deacons that's always been sort of amusing. I'm not even sure what an inactive deacon is, but the inactive deacon was asked for some reason to provide the elements for communion for this occasion. And rather than our standard fare of Welch's grape juice, which, which us church kids are quite fond of, 
by the way. Welch's grape juice. Did, did you ever feel kind of creepy when your mama put it in your lunchbox and you're like, ooh, I don't think I'm supposed to be drinking this with just lunch. Where's the little bread thing? So it, it, we always were kind of quite fond of our Welch's grape juice, but, but um, this guy, this time, for whatever reason, decided to bless us with his own batch of homemade muscadine wine. And y'all have tasted some of that too, haven't you? So uh, I am no connoisseur of homemade wines or store-bought wines for that matter. But uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't make a ton of money off this little business venture. Because uh, to my eight or nine-year-old tongue when this happened to me, this is the awfulest stuff I ever put in my mouth. I mean, this stuff was seriously nasty. The only thing that I could think of in that time of my life that was as bad as this stuff was, was Creamulsion. Y'all remember that stuff? Did your mama give you that stuff too? The Food and Drug Administration finally made them quit giving that to children. Killing these little babies. <laughs> that stuff was burnt motor oil is all that was. I don't know. My mama went to the Buick and drained a couple of teaspoons out and gave it. It was, the, it was awful. But the only thing worse than that thick black jism she gave me every time I coughed was this muscadine wine we were supposed to be drinking for communion. So it, it, I turned up this cup of juice. And it was all I could do to keep it from keep from spewing on the back of brother and sister Bearden who were standing in front of me. My sister, I got three sisters all older than me, so I had mamas everywhere, so my sister was eyeballing me and going, swallow it, swallow it. Because she knew that I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with it. So I swallowed it down and I discovered after church that the water from the water fountain really don't wash away muscadine wine. It, it lingers with you for a little while. I, I would love to have had a videotape of that service and just see everybody's, uh, all these teetotaling Baptists that we went to church with when they'd realized they were drinking muscadine wine. But anyway, be that as it may, I hope you have memories of, uh, of communions gone by as well. And I hope yours may be a little more spiritual than mine. But uh, I, I know that whether it's Christmas or Easter or whenever it is that you've had a chance to, uh, to participate in communion, that we all remember communion for one reason or the other. It's all meaningful to us for, for one reason or the other. But the Bible says, the Lord said, Himself said, there's really only one reason to remember communion. And that is to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus now this morning I want us to, to take a little bit of time and, and, and just talk about the broken body of Christ. This is the first time since I've been the lead pastor here uh, that we've participated in communion together as a, as a uh, congregation. We did the Maundy Thursday thing during the Easter week, but this is the first time, as I recall, that we've participated together, um, maybe Christmas, but, but it's the first time since then. And I did that on purpose. I, some of you have come to me and said, when are we going to do communion? And, and here's why well, I waited. Because I fear that we have participated in things for too long with, with no meaning. I'm afraid that the more you do stuff, sometimes the less it means to you. And I think sometimes church people like me, ha, ha, we can go through the motions without it ever striking any, th any sort of spiritual chord with us. The partaking in the body of Christ, in the bread and the blood of Jesus, is, is too important for us to do it out of religious ritual and routine. 
And so I wanted to give us a little bit of time because sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes you don't realize what you're missing until it's gone. So I wanted to withhold this until I, I, I felt like that God had led me to the point that, that I could preach about it and that we could, we could take some time to think about what it actually means. And so the Lord uh, led me to this Word and I wanted to share it here with you this morning. Now, Philippians chapter 2 describes for us the process that Jesus went through when He came to this earth. He was God the Son, eternal and powerful, righteous and holy, who humbled Himself to step off the throne and to take upon Himself the robe of flesh. He became one of us. The Creator of all things took took on the form of His creation and He took for Himself a human body. Now from all accounts of the Gospels, Jesus was was born with a typical, run-of-the-mill, everyday, ordinary kind of body. Just like yours and mine. Maybe it was nothing special, but neither was there anything in particular wrong with it. You wouldn't have been able to just pick Jesus out of the crowd. His body was just like everybody else's body. Now, as as a matter of fact, His work as a carpenter may have given him the opportunity to develop uh, muscles and and develop strength in his body that may have even been more than the average person. But, But Scripture tells us that he grew strong in the Lord and physically, and he had favor of men and of God, and that his body was strong enough to walk the hundreds of miles that he would have walked every year when he did his ministry here on the earth those three and a half years. His body was strong enough to endure the rigors of the almost 24-7 ministry that he was engaged in while he was here. So it seemed that the body of Christ was as solid as they came. But in the Scripture we just read in 1 Corinthians, he stands before the men that he was about to leave in charge of his church and he tells them to remember his body that was broken for them. Now I wonder if this caused the disciples to be confused. There were a lot of things that Jesus was saying and doing that night that was kind of confusing to them. They weren't really getting all the symbolism. They weren't really getting even some of the things that He said directly to them. I wonder if this is one of the things that confused them that night. Because here He stood before them, young and strong and vibrant and every bit strong enough and healthy enough to become the Messiah King that they were all hoping that He would be. And here He is, instead of uh, of preparing to ascend to the throne of an earthly kingdom, He was telling them and speaking of His broken body. His body obviously wasn't broken then, so when was it that His body started to be broken? Now, I think most of us, we have the advantage of hindsight. We can look back. We know how the story ends. But the disciples, they were living this real time, minute by minute, and they were in the midst of it and could not see the end from where they were. So when was it that the body of Christ began to be broken? Well, most of us would probably say, well, it was on the cross. On his crucifixion, where his body was nailed to that cross, and he was he was dropped into that hole in the ground to support the cross, and that was certainly part of the breaking process. But I believe it started earlier than that. Some people might say, "Well, it was when he took stripes upon his back for the healing of the nations," uh, or maybe it was the crown of thorns that they placed on his head, or maybe it was the beating of the temple guards that began the very night, just within minutes of them capturing him in the garden. But I believe it's, it happened even earlier than that. As a matter of fact, I believe it began immediately after he began, after he shared this 
Last Supper with the disciples. The Scripture tells us that after they partook of the Last Supper together, that they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that in the garden, as he prayed to the Father, knowing what was what he was about to face, that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Now, scientists tell us that when a human body that a human body will react to things like this when placed under great stress. When the body faces something that's so traumatic, when the body faces something that's so disturbing and so difficult that it literally excretes blood from the straining sweat glands in the body. So I believe that it was there in the garden of Gethsemane that the body of our Lord began to break down. And it was there that we see the beginning of the broken body of Christ. Now the question has to be asked, what was it that caused such pain for Him? What was it that brought such agony? What was it that brought such stress upon the body of Christ that he that it began to break? I would submit to you that Scripture tells us that it was my sin. Amen. And it was your sin that caused... As a matter of fact, it was the cup of sin. It's a very poetic way to say it. But it was the weight of the sins of all mankind that caused the body of Christ to begin to break that night. The weight and the pressure and the separation from the holiness and the presence of God that sin always brings caused His body to break. And once he accepted that sin, once he drank that cup of judgment, once he took upon himself the sins of the world, his body was destined to be broken for the sins of all mankind, for your sins and for mine. And when he called out from the cross that God had forsaken him, it was not for his own sin, it was my sin. And it was your sin that had caused God to have to turn his back on his only son. And when He cried out from the cross, it is finished. It wasn't just His earthly life that was finished. It was the breaking of His body that was now complete. He had no life left. He had no blood left. Nothing left to give in payment for the sins of all mankind. It was finished. Now in your mind's eye, can you... Can you picture this? Can you see Him hanging there on the cross? Can you see Him beaten and bruised and bleeding and broken and lifeless there on the cross? Do you wish you couldn't see it? Do you wish that I had not brought it up? Or that we wouldn't talk about it anymore? The guilt and the conviction in all of us makes us want to look away from that picture because we know we're responsible for it. But it's that very picture that Jesus said we're supposed to remember every time we take part in the Lord's Supper. It is the broken body of Christ. Now why should we remember that? Why would Jesus want us to dwell on something that's so horrible and so tragic and so difficult to look at? Why would, of all the things that He had done, why would He leave that to us and say, remember this every time you participate in this ordinance that I'm commanding you to participate in? 
Because that's not the end of the story. He wants you to remember the brokenness of His body because nothing else makes sense in the whole of Scripture unless you understand this point in time. He wants you to remember the brokenness so that you can appreciate the fact that three days after He breathed His last breath on the earth, that His disciples went to the tomb to find that He was no longer there. He had to die so He could conquer death. He had to suffer so He could conquer pain. He had to be bruised so that, so that He could conquer uh, pain and bruising for us. His body had to be broken so that three days later He could come out of the tomb with a brand new, glorified, complete, eternal, undamaged body that was now made whole. If the, good new, if the bad news was that the body of Christ had been broken, then the good news is, the great news is, that it was no, He was no longer on the cross. He was no longer in the tomb. He was no longer broken, but He was alive and He was risen and His body was now made whole. That is why we have to remember the broken body of Christ. That's the good news this morning. But there's kind of an odd scripture a couple of chapters later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. I want you to notice what this says and I want you to think about how that might apply to what we're talking about this morning. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now the last time anybody saw the, the, the body of Christ here on the earth, He was ascending into the heavens in Acts chapter 1. But according to this writing, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then people have seen the body of Christ since then. As a matter of fact, the body of Christ is all around us, and as a matter of fact, the body of Christ is us. Jesus was the light of the world when He was on the earth, was He not? He said, I'm the light of the world. But when He left, what did He say? Now you're the light of the world. When Jesus was on the earth, He had a body. But once He left the earth, according to Paul, now we are the body of Christ. And He presented to us a body that was made whole, that was resurrected, that was glorified, that was put back together. He did not give us a broken body. He gave us one whole, complete body to be stewards of. Now I wish I could stand here and tell you that we've been good stewards of what He left us. But I'm afraid that would be a lie. Sometimes I try to put myself into the shoes of people who know nothing of the Bible, nothing of the church, nothing of Christianity, which by the way is the fastest growing portion of our population. People who have no spiritual foundation, or at least no Christian foundation. People are more and more, even people who grow up in the church, people are more and more biblically illiterate. So our allusions to Noah and, and, the, and the ark, and Jonah and the whale, and Moses part of the Red Sea, are, are more and more meaningless to people in mainstream society. They have no idea what we're talking about. If I were that person who knows nothing of the Bible, and I were seeking to know the truth of the Bible, where would I go? Where would I even start? Which church would I choose? Now, I would assume, a person who really knows nothing of this, I would assume that you could just pretty much go to any church. Any church, any Christian church, right, should be able to lead me to the truth 
about Jesus. But my experience is going to tell me something different. My experience at work and with my neighbors might tell me something different. Because I know uh, this group of people who are Christians who don't seem to think too much about that group of people who are Christians. And I know some people over at the Methodist church that don't seem to like the people at the Baptist church. And the people at the Baptist church that don't seem to like the Presbyterians. And the people at the Presbyterian church that don't like the Pentecostals. And and the people in the Pentecostal church, they don't seem to like anybody. Sometimes not even themselves. And for somebody who's looking to find the complete picture of the body of Christ... All I seem to be able to find is a piece here and a piece there. And if they go together, I sure don't see how. And I fear that after all Jesus went through in the garden and in the temple and on the cross to allow His body to be broken so that we could receive His body again in wholeness, that all we've done is break apart the body of Christ until it's almost unrecognizable again. Scripture tells us, prophecy was written, that His body would be beaten and broken so badly that even those who knew Him best would be unable to recognize Him. And I'm afraid that what we've done in the church today is that we've allowed this prophecy to be fulfilled once again. When the world looks for the body of Christ, All they see is a piece here and a piece there and a piece there. And these pieces have no intentions of ever coming together to form any sort of a coherent picture. So the question demands to be asked today. What is it that's breaking the body of Christ all over again? And I would submit to you it's the same thing that broke His body in the first place. It's sin. It's sin. Only this time, it's not the sins of all humanity. It's not the sins of all the world because the sacrifice is still there and it's still offered to them to receive it anytime they hear the Spirit call their name. This time, it's the sin of those that we find uh, that are supposed to be the ones set free. It's the sin in the church. It's the sin in the members of the church. And since we are now the body of Christ, according to Scripture, when we allow sin in our lives, we're causing the body of Christ to be broken all over again. It's our sin that's causing the people of this world to view the body of Christ as a collection of puzzle pieces instead of a complete and accurate portrayal of our Lord and Savior. Now there's one sin in particular that's running rampant in our churches. And it's at the root of much of the division between and within our churches. And it's not just in our churches. It's in our friendships. And it's in our marriages. And it's in our families. In every relationship, it's lurking. And we read about it in Matthew chapter 6 and, and, and verse 9 through 15. If you would turn with me in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. 
Ray Thomas, would you turn me down? I'm getting some feedback in my ear driving me crazy. You might not hear it. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. You've heard this before. You may never have any have had any concept of what this was about, but if you were on a football team in the Bible Belt, you probably took a knee before you ran out on the field and tried to smash somebody's head off. You probably said this Scripture. This is in red. Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and I can still hear ringing the 70 guys on the sidelines saying for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen And most of us, even the ones who grew up in church and knew what that was talking about, most of us stopped right there. But Jesus didn't stop. Look at verse 14. It's all part of the same deal. After praying that prayer, then Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's good news. And it would have been fine with me if He'd have stopped there. But there is a verse 15. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Verse 15, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, whoever said that must be mistaken. Oops. Written in red. The words of Jesus Himself. He's not mistaken. Now look, I'm not a theologian. I am not an expert in the doctrines and beliefs of all the churches from which you might have come, but I do know enough to read what it says. And if you believe in the Bible, if you believe the words of Jesus Himself that are written right there in red, then you have to recognize that unforgiveness is a cancer that is eating up the body of Christ from the inside out. Now, The best I can tell, the atheists are working way too hard. The Muslims can take a night off. All the other groups that are fighting against Christianity, as far as I'm concerned, can just take a step back. Because if there is not a revival of repentance in our churches, if there is not a revival of unity and peace in our families, if there is not a humbling of our pride and a softening of our hard and arrogant hearts, then there will be no need to try to defeat Christianity because we're going to do it ourselves through, Christ, through unforgiveness. Say, well, I was always raised that Jesus always, God always forgives your sin. Not true. Not true. It's not true. Not because I said it's not true. It's not true because this says it's not true. It's contingent. Your forgiveness is contingent upon two things. One, accepting Jesus as the sacrifice for your sin. That's what His forgiveness is contingent upon first and foremost. But even after you do that, there's another qualification. We've made so many things in the body of Christ so difficult. And then we make some things so easy. There's another qualification. There's another caveat that we don't, that we don't talk about. And it's what Jesus just said. If we don't forgive other people for sinning against us, then He will not forgive us for sinning against Him. 
And look, I'm not telling you that because I think that's good news. I'm telling you that because that's my responsibility with this word right here. That's what Jesus said. I don't have any options. Once I gave my life to Him, then I decided that whatever He said was what I had to do. As far as I know, none of this is optional because there's a lot of this stuff, man, I would option out of. Not my idea at all. Not comfortable, not cool. But but as I understand it, you, you pretty much just get the whole deal, right? When you enter a covenant, you get it's all or nothing. And it's forever. When I married Valerie, I didn't just marry the good parts. I married those one or two things that might be in her... Or one, that one little tiny thing that gets on my nerves. And she got all of me, right? We it's it's all or nothing. We don't just get to you we don't get to say, hey, you in a bad mood. You acting crazy today. I'm going over here for a little while. You just in it. You know? You're in it. When you when you accept the Lord, when you enter into covenant with him. You get the whole deal. You can't just take the good stuff from God. You gotta take the stuff that you're not so comfortable with. There is no bad stuff with God, but there sure is a lot of stuff that I'd just as soon not take. But it's, it's, it's all or nothing. Now look, we've got denominations who've been at odds with each other over something that happened hundreds of years ago. We got churches who've historically been in competition with each other for so long that nobody at the church even remembers a time when they ever did anything together. They don't know why they hate each other. They just do. I remember playing people in church league softball that got so amped up for the game against the church that I was attending that you would have thought it was seventh seventh game of the World Series. I mean, it, they were fighting a holy war. It was a crusade against whatever somebody who used to attend our church 27 years ago must have said or done to them. It's ridiculous. We got groups of people in the church that won't even sit on the same side of the church as members of another group over something that's so petty that they are ashamed to even talk about it. They don't even talk about it. They just act like it's something important. And most importantly, (laughs) welcome back from summer. And most importantly, we've got members of the same family who cannot and will not get over an offense that one person committed against another person to even stay in the same room with each other. If if families can't learn to forgive each other, what hope do we have as churches? If churches don't learn to forgive and start cooperating, what hope do we have as a denomination? And if, if denominations that, that together make up the totality of Christianity on the earth, if they can't learn to forgive and come together as one, then what hope does this world have of finding the body of Christ? Now God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross to have His body broken and His blood shed so that we can call who call ourselves by His name can run around and reject our brother and sister over every little offense. We don't have the right.
Your Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that if we have any hope of having our sins forgiven, then we better get busy mending the fences in our own homes and in our own lives and in our own church and in our own community. Now you might be thinking, yeah, but John, you don't know what this person did to me. And I look, I get that. There are real hurts in life. There are things that people do to each other that should not be done to any human. And some of those things have happened to you. And I, I, I and I want to help you understand, I'm not belittling what happened to you. I'm no stranger to pain. Look, I've been, I've been living long enough to know, just inside the church, I know what the pain of separation is. I know what the pain of church splits are. I have been talked about and lied about. I've had people not just twist the truth, I've had people make stuff up about me. I've had people stab me in the back. People turn their backs on me. All kinds of stuff have happened to me to cause pain and battle scars, and that's just inside the church. I know what it's like to walk into a family gathering at Christmas and have an aunt or two and their families walk to the back room and stay with the dog until we leave over something that my daddy did six or seven years ago. I had aunts that wouldn't even talk to me for something my daddy did. I'm like eight. What could I have done that was, I'm, this is my little eight year old mind. What could I have done that's so possible, that's so possibly horrible that this 60 year old woman won't even be in the same room as me? Ridiculous. You got those aunts and uncles and cousins and crazy in-laws and you got all that in your family too. You got people at work that won't talk to you over something that happened 23 years ago because you got a raise and he didn't. It was 12 cents an hour. But there are also people who have, who have had the unthinkable done to them and in their lives. And there are those things. And I'm not belittling that at all. But let me say this with as much compassion as I can. I won't underestimate the effect that that offense has had on your life, then, if you won't underestimate the effect that unforgiveness is having on your life and on the body of Christ right now. It is not an easy thing that I'm, that I'm proposing to you. It may be the most difficult thing that's happened to you since that event that caused this bitterness and this unforgiveness in your heart. But it's a necessary thing. See, forgiveness is not so much about releasing that other person as it is about releasing you from the influence of that other person. So don't feel like that if you forgive them and you walk away from that, that you're allowing them to get by with it. Look, if you could have punished them for it, you'd have already done it. So this unforgiveness that you're holding, the only prisoner in that jail is you. Because that person either doesn't know or doesn't care. So let yourself out of prison this morning and ask God to help you with unforgiveness. The body of Christ was broken by our sins and Jesus commanded us to remember it Every time we take communion. 
And He did it so that we could remember the fact that He had conquered that sin, forgave that sin, and that He was made whole. And then in turn, He passed on to us care for His body that was without spot and without blemish so that we could represent Him to the world. But our sin has once again caused the body of Christ to be broken. It's not just the sin of unforgiveness, but that may be the one that runs the most rampant to a lesser or greater degree in everybody's life. But now that we know, we've got two options. We're either going to be part of the, continue to be part of the breaking process, the separation process, or we're going to be part of the healing and the coming together of the body of Christ. We've got a choice to make. Not, a, not an easy choice, but it looks like most of you have been around long enough to know that sometimes the choices that are most important in life are not the easiest ones to make. But you also look like you're old enough and wise enough to know that even when it's difficult, there's still a clear right and wrong answer. Here's the question. Are you willing to help mend the broken body of Christ today? It's very simple, but very challenging. I want to ask you to do this. And if y'all don't mind, uh, Ray Thomas, pull the lights down, please. I just I want a time of, of, of self-reflection here. They're going to get the elements together. You don't pay attention to them. Right now, it's you and God. 2 Corinthians says, Paul says that we have been received from God. The, the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of reconciliation. He provided the example. He knew that every sin that every person would ever commit, and not only did he not hold a grudge, but he completely forgave them and called them his child. So, who are we to do any less with our brothers and sisters? So I'm challenging you to do this. Ask God to search you and to know you and to reveal to you if there's any unforgiveness or any other sin in your life as you prepare your heart to receive the, the, the elements. Pray and ask God to show you the areas of your life that are not under the blood and then repent and ask God to forgive you of those things and, and determine in your heart that you're going to turn your back on that lifestyle. You can come to this altar. You can do it in your seat. But, but I would suggest to you, even if the person that harmed you is, is dead, is in jail, is on the different side of the country, even if, they are, if you have no access to them, or that if it's in your best interest not to have access to them, I'm simply saying forgive them and let them go. Forgive them and let yourself go. And ask God to heal you. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, we just ask that through Your Holy Spirit that You would give us the strength and the honesty and the integrity of our hearts to drop the mask, to lay it down, to lay down the walls that we've built around ourselves, the walls of self-righteousness inside of which we've convinced ourselves that we're right and that we're justified in holding this grudge. I pray, God, that You would help us to be released from the prison that we have 
built around ourselves through unforgiveness. God, that we would be like a prisoner set free today before we leave. I pray that you convict us of our sin, that you reveal to us the areas of our lives that are not under your blood. Help us, Lord, to have the strength and the courage to repent and to change our lives. With your help, in Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open if you would like to come and pray. The team's going to begin to serve you the elements of communion. I want you to to receive those. If you would stand, please. And let's just have a time of, of serious reflection before the Lord as we prepare our hearts. Mark's going to sing a song about the body of Christ, about the cross of Jesus. Sing these words with meaning. It's easy to catch on to. And let's just create an atmosphere of worship today. Come on, Mark, sing, brother. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor John Butler at Covenant Life Church in Bremen, Georgia. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.covenantlifebremen.org. We look forward to meeting you soon.